Hey everyone, it's Patricia. Welcome to episode two of the Bad Chinese Teacher podcast. I had a chance to sit down with my friend Gio Esposito. We went to middle school and high school together. We both sang in choir, and now we're still singing together in the New Haven Chorale in Connecticut, where we both live. A few weeks ago, Gio and I had a chance to debut a choral work at Carnegie Hall in New York. What made this piece special was not just the fact that we got to sing at Carnegie Hall, but that the piece was in Chinese and told the story of the first Chinese immigrants to the United States. We had a chance to catch up and recap our experiences together, and talked a bit about what it was like to perform at Carnegie, what the rehearsal process was like, and what the piece meant to each of us. Hope you enjoy. Basically, I feel like the only reason why I'm doing this is because the program、um, from Carnegie Hall doesn't actually have my name on it. <laughs> because this is for posterity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, this is proof. This is proof that we actually sang at Carnegie Hall. Right.、Uh, this was about two weeks ago. Yeah. Yeah. October. October first. October first. Yeah.、Right? Not October tenth. Yep. yep.、Um, so just for context,、uh, how did we? How did we end up here? Well, I think. At least, yeah, it all started because of our relationship with the New Haven Corral, being in the Corral, and Charles Liu, who coordinated really all the efforts on the East Coast, was the point man and is in the Corral. So he basically asked me in the middle of the summer if I wanted to join, and、uh, then asked, then I asked you talking about it, and you know, a couple rehearsals later, and we were at back at Carnegie. Yeah, and the thing is, like when you said that you mentioned it to me, this was not like a couple of like days after you joined. This was literally like three, three weeks, weeks <laughs> three weeks before、right. the performance. Right.、Um, and the thing is that like this announcement came out. So just for context,、uh, so Charles, so we sing, Gio and、right. I sing in the New Haven Chorale, which is like a community choir.、Um, and then、oh. there's this other choir that is like all Chinese people、mm-hmm. that is based in New Haven. I think、right. they're called like the Yale Chinese Oratory. Camarada. Camarada yeah. something. Yeah.、Um, I think they have a Chinese name as well that is also escaping me. But、um, so a person who sings in that. Choir also sings in the choir that we're in,、um, and he he put out this notice like in May, May like near, really yeah, early. Actually, probably April because it was the end of our season、yeah. last year.、Right? And this was so it was April. That was like a good half a year, yeah, exactly from the concert, right, right. right.、Um, so pretty serious stuff. But I had originally like because the cover the 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 oratorio was something that this organization does annually, and this year the work was on the 150th anniversary of the completion of the Transcontinental Railroad,、mm-hmm. um, which is basically if you don't know, really important part of Chinese American history. And I'm Chinese American, and I was like, that's really important.、Um, was originally going to do it, stepped off for personal reasons, and then. Geo convinced me to、yeah. do it again three weeks before, and like common courtesy says that you really should not jump on a project three weeks before,、right. especially if everyone been working on it for months. For months, right? And it wasn't even just like casual rehearsals. It was like we found out later that not only were people rehearsing two and a half hours、right. a week, it was like two and a half hours twice a week. Twice, yeah. There was extra、week. rehearsals. So originally it was Wednesdays for I think two and a half hours, and then for, from I got on in the middle of August, so. Yeah, full like ten, ten full weeks, and、uh, but then they started doing a second night for people who felt like they needed more time with the piece, and because it was a brand new piece, I mean every week we'd get new pieces of it or we'd get 
uh, changes. You know, they'd say, uh, all right, you know, measure 17 through 25, the tenor single fourth up. So write that into your score or print out a new copy. Literally, the first day we got to rehearsal, like whenever it was in August, and they go, Charles goes, all right, raise your hand if you printed out the music today or yesterday. And me and maybe like three or four other people raised their hand. He's like, everybody else, your music's no good. It's completely different. Throw it away. <laughs> That's insane. So, so, so it's worth to notice that like this piece is not, was written for this performance, exactly. right? Which is yeah, why right. there were the constant revisions. Right. Like there was a person who was commissioned to write uh, this piece that was going to be debuted at Carnegie Hall. And so um, just a little context as to what this whole thing and how, why is that, why it was at Carnegie Hall. So this isn't event that was held that's held every year by uh, the US China Music Institute at Bard College um, Conservatory in New York and this year just reading from their kind of press release it says that the second annual China Now Music Festival celebrated milestones in the history of US China relations through music highlights included the world premiere of a symphonic oratorio by Pulitzer Prize winning composer Zhou Long honoring Chinese workers on the 150th anniversary of the completion of the Transcontinental Railroad and the China Now Music Festival Gala at so that's us. Um, and the piece itself was called Men of Iron and the Golden Spike. A symphonic oratorio is now a major new work by Pulitzer Prize winning composer. They seem to really, that point oh, yeah, really important. Yeah, like this is like legitimizing what we're doing. <laughs> like this person is like a real composer. Right. Uh, Pulitzer Prize winning composer Zhou Long and lyricist Su Wei for a full symphony orchestra, soloist, and a mixed chorus, that's us, in honor of uh, the Chinese railroad workers of the American West. The work reflects the epic history of nearly 20,000 Chinese laborers who contributed to the completion of the Transcontinental Railroad in uh, 150 years ago. Um, so that was that's the context of the piece, and it seems right. like there was this piece was like commissioned, and they were just looking to like fill bodies for the right. chorale. Where well, did the do you know where the the, the the what's it called symphonic the symphony orchestra came from? Where were yeah, they? they're from Bard. They're all they were all student musicians from Bard. Mm. So uh, the the. Uh, com- conductor, excuse me, the conductor was a bard professor, as well as the entire student, um, the, the student orchestra. And I think there may have been some faculty from bard there oh, because yeah. there were definitely some older, older folks. Um, but the majority of them were students. Gotcha. Um, which is, and they actually then flew out to Stanford to do the second rehearsal. That whole group got to go to Stanford for the other rehearsal. Right. So that was the other thing, right? We did our piece on Tuesday, October 1st. And I think on that Saturday, um, they went and there was a group from the West Coast that did the same performance. Yeah. Uh, and the, the, the orchestra got to go. So it was a, a nice little perk for the students, I'm sure, to fly out. I don't know if they had to pay or if the, the department picked it up or what, but... Um, a lot of the students I know are going to mm. do the other the other part. So there's this like I don't I don't even want to call it like an encore performance because it was like legit. There were new people coming in exactly at, at Stanford too. So it was and twice. those people I think were actually more professional singers they or better. they, were, they better. were better. They were, you know. <laughs> so with our group, I think you know originally the reason why Charles asked me and a few other. Uh, Americans to do is because we actually had singing backgrounds. Mm. Whereas I think we talked about this previously that a lot of the people in the Chinese choir are more, it's a social thing. They're not there because they're really like to sing. It's more of a social hour. So uh, I think he kind of asked us for a little bit more of a backbone to help with some of the singing. There were some, uh, some folks from the greater Hartford opera or uh, operatic choir, whatever they're called um, who came and joined and they, yeah, we kind of, I guess, gave a little bit of a backbone to at least our rehearsals. I felt like the people in New York and the those choirs were a little bit 
better, <laughs> a little bit better musically um, than some of the people in our group. But it was, I mean, even so, it was a. I thought even the New Haven group was was strong enough to carry the piece on our own. By the time we got there, yeah, you know, after maybe not like leading up, but by the time six we got months there. of rehearsals yeah, twice a week, five exactly. hours a week, right? Yeah, no, it stands. It stands to mention that, like again, the choir that we were based out of, um, or the choir that we later joined, was like a like you said, it's a community choir, but it was like it's a social activity. Yeah. Um, and so when you take that, like basically, what is a choir? Like just a bunch of people who like really like to sing, and that's kind of the premise for it. Um, and then all of a sudden you have like <laughs> Carnegie Hall. Right. I mean, if I were the concertmaster, if I were like conductor i would be like freaking out yeah right and i imagine that like charles and maestro tai were in the same place um for much of the process yes although i don't know how much the conductor really had say in until like a week or two before because or that's not true so he came i think three weeks before the concert they did three joint rehearsals. So there was one in New Haven, there was one in New York, and then there were the ones the weekend before the concert. Um, up to, Prior to that, I remember Charles saying in rehearsals, he'd go, all right, I'm waiting for the conductor to tell me how he wants to do this, and I don't know. So, and then, and then, uh, Jolong was at the, at our rehearsals and would say, oh no, I don't want it like that. I want it this way. And the conductor would go, oh, okay. The, you know, the composer has spoken and and we're going to do this part faster. We're going to do this part slower. You know, we, we had something, I really liked the way we were doing the ending of the second movement with, uh, a big retard and, uh, they subdivided the beats because it was in, I think six, six, eight. And then. Jolan goes, no, I don't want you to stop there. Keep going. It was like, okay. And there was no retard. It was just, you know, a tempo the whole time. And that was it. It was like, okay. All right. So we had to, we had to all do the things and change things on the fly because we had the composer there to say what goes. It's like on if you look on it really positively, it's like this is a living piece of music. Oh, absolutely! And like, um, and and you see it grow and, and evolve as it goes on. But like, if you look at it from a practical perspective, you're like, I don't want to print out yeah. another sixteen <laughs> pages of the same piece. I know. Yeah. So so we rehearse. Um, I think I came to a total of three rehearsals out Good. of the seventy five yeah. million. That, which really, you know, I'm just I'm so terrible. Um but But you handled it and you knew your part and you were one of the people who was for, could speak Chinese and also was a really good singer. Oh, so I you. think that was a good part where Charles goes, I know you're a very good singer. You don't have to come to these things. You're good. Yo, the only reason why <laughs> Charles even let me join three weeks in, because no no conductor should like ever do that, because that's just bad etiquette. So, mm-hmm. um, But like the only reason why he let me in was like literally he was like, I'm only letting you do this because one, I know you sing, right. and two... You're Chinese American, and right. this is your history. And I'm right. like, those are also the reasons why I am doing this, right. and I'm glad we are on the same page. But I did right. feel kind of, I felt a little bad. Um, yeah, just because like you see folks who are rehearsing a lot, and really, I mean, it's a lot of time. Oh, right? definitely. And, and I'm sure that like I, I feel like based on what I know, a lot of the people in that choir are like semi-retired and so maybe they do have sure. a lot of time and it is like a social thing for them but yeah. it is also a lot of work right um okay so we rehearse uh, a lot or a little <laughs> and the performance comes it's october 1st yep um busy weekends for yeah. the both of us right right you were I, traveling. I traveling i had a play going on that the following oh two days later yeah. so i missed a dress rehearsal and it was a lot but um 
it was, yeah, I mean, it was a busy week. I had everything all at once, but actually it was a really busy month, but that's okay because we got this thing at Carnegie yeah. and now I don't have to do as much anymore. No, so. it's like one of those things, like I keep saying that, right? I remember I mentioned this offhandedly to my supervisor at work, my principal, because I needed time off and he right. was like, what? Yeah. Like you should take, like we sh- there should be a banner. And I was like, please don't, please don't. It's like seriously not that Morning announcements for a week and a half straight. Yeah, and, you and know? that feels like that's such like a, 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 an elitist thing to say because like people literally like if you're not a music person or you haven't like existed on this planet for the past 150 <laughs> years like Carnegie Hall is right. a big deal yeah. right it's yeah. like if you're classical it's the Olympics musician, for singing it really is like there is that what that that cliched phrase like how do you get to Carnegie Hall right practice Just practice practice yeah. um, and so it's a really big deal to sing at Carnegie Hall but this was not our first time no no, no. when was the first time we, we actually made our debut right at our, that sounds terrible. our debut at, at Carnegie Hall was <laughs> May 1st, 2006. Oh my gosh, you remember that? No, 2007. Day? Sorry, 2007. 2007 uh, where we went as our with our high school choir as part of a music in our schools feature thing that happened at Carnegie. I remember there was like a Suzuki school from New York City just because I remember that small little boy who like wouldn't play the song. He was just standing with his bow out and, <laughs> oh no. and everybody, like the teachers were trying to come on and, and, and get him to play Twinkle Twinkle Little Star or whatever. And this kid must have been th- two or three with like a tiny little violin so this is a very like elite, <laughs> very prestigious the bar was high oh yeah but then they had the moon glowers who were like a high school jazz band from new jersey i think they're the first high school jazz band in the country i could that could be completely wrong but i think that was their claim or whatever and mm-hmm. they killed it they were fantastic you know they were like a group that obviously valued jazz as a culture and as a history and they played at this thing but i remember just we did a couple things our the the placard is that we had a little photo uh um montage is still up in the choir lobby oh yeah with the ticket with the picture of julia uh with the the thoroughly modern millie suitcase yeah 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 so that's still all there in the even though yeah 12 years later the teacher has retired our our teacher miss kathy ann roding is retired um they still have like a lot of those little photo collages and uh, yeah, so we had that was our first time, and it's really good as an amateur singer to be able to say, "Yeah, I sang at Carnegie a couple times." It's funny when the professionals be like, "Oh, yeah, I remember the first time I sang at Carnegie Hall," and I'm like, "Oh yeah, me too." <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm in the same league. Me too. We're just as good. we're like in the same like, level. This is your day job. Yeah, it's a hobby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I've sung <laughs> yeah, it twice casuals, now. Right. Right. Yeah, I feel like that's such a because the thing is like we, it's not as if I mean our choir program was like okay, right? Like I mean, I would say it was like, born more than okay. Okay, it was. It was uh, yeah, good, for a high school. Like, choir program i think who we all did it especially too for our class where no one was a music major nobody went on to pursue careers in music we all had other interests and this was definitely our our hobby first and i think we never overinflated the importance of it like some people tend to do when they're in high school right um i think we all kind of understood that it was something we were doing for fun and but we uh, knew that it was something we wanted to we took seriously no but none of us wanted to do anything badly yeah. We all were wanted to do well in everything that we did. So when we went to Italy our senior year and we won that uh, that award for that, you know, jazz, vocal jazz competition, like, that was really cool for us. Right, yeah. You know? Like, who else would ever, like, the fact that it was like a, what, a 28-person vocal yeah. jazz ensemble, yeah. that's, like, not a thing. But the right. thing is that, like, yeah, I think the one thing I really appreciated from our choir music performing arts experience was, like, yeah, you're right. Like, none of us were, like, serious music majors. None of us were, like, conservatory right. people. Um, or really, were thinking in that direction. But our teacher just really allowed us to have these opportunities oh, yeah. right like i think i remember talking to her after i graduated and being like um she had mentioned that one of her 
one of her goals as a teacher was to have us experience big things, right? Let us be part of things that were a big deal. Like whether that be singing at Carnegie Hall, right. even though it's under the pretext of like a two, three year old. Like, yeah, right, right. Playing tinkle, tinkle, little stuff. <laughs> um, or like she would give us like renaissance like palestrina oh yeah like multi oh, yeah. polyphonic music um that was like you know vocal like technique wise it's right. not as if like any of us were like like prodigies exactly but it was like an intellectual exercise sure and like just being in that space and being right. like understanding the 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 bigness of all of it oh absolutely um yeah that or, was a big yeah thing. or then going and doing manhattan transfer music where yeah. <laughs> where the, the jazz harmonies are ridiculous and mind-bending and you have to really know your stuff yo and, like i mean i look back to like the music that we did in high school and i'm just like i haven't touched a lot of like intense intense choral yeah. music except for what we do every week at right. corral and i'm just like dude like high schoolers we as high schoolers read this music we learned yeah. it like yeah you know and did well and performed right. it well and like breaking every stereotype that choir people can't read music right which exactly. is like actually not that far from the truth sometimes. no um wait it goes up the pitch goes right, up like i sing little, higher dude i remember this I, this happened in one of like the uh the the or the what's it called uh cantata rehearsals uh-huh. for the chinese thing like someone i think one of the conductors was just so frustrated at one point where he literally just said if the little black dot goes up, <laughs> your voice goes up. <laughs> so real professionals here. And I'm just like, you know, like life of a, like, you know, orchestra people are probably just cackling right now because they yeah. actually, they actually right. have to read music exactly. and singers don't. Um, so anyway, it's, it's October 1st. We're there. Um, busy weekend for the both of us coming back to just like a, a big space as adults now, which is yep. kind of exciting. Um, performance happens uh what do you remember from that like what what sticks in your mind okay well all right so this is my this is my soapbox minute i guess every time somebody asks me oh you get to sing at woolsey hall which we do you know once a year with the Yale, yeah. which is absolutely spectacular you know to be in that room or you know sing at carnegie it's they go oh oh yeah it must be so much fun to be up there and, and my I don't know, high horse, you know, I'm full of myself moment is, well, when you're singing something like that, you're really at service to the music. You don't get the time to appreciate what you're doing because you can't make a mistake. You got to pay attention to what you're doing. It's the audience is there and your job as a performer is to give them a good performance. So that's kind of how I look at it where I'm, you know, especially at a place like Carnegie or Woolsey where... If you take a second to listen to yourself, you're already a beat behind. <laughs> you have to just watch the conductor and, and, and stay on the music. So that is the sort of thing where, you know, I'm, I was kind of focused, at least tried to be focused on the majority of what I, what I could do. However, what was very nice was during movement six, the, the moonlight mm. movement, which is like probably the longest movement in the piece, probably 10 or 12 minutes, just women and soloists. And I had 12 minutes to stand there on the stage and actually get to take it in. And this was really nice. This was actually the part where I, I'm standing on there. I had a couple minutes. I didn't really have to pay attention because I knew I wasn't coming in for 12 minutes. <laughs> and I go, this is it. This is Carnegie. Here I am. There's the, it's, it was a really good crowd. Um, I'm like, this is it. People strive their whole lives to get here and don't and want to do it as a as a career milestone as professionals. Here I am as a 27 year old amateur singer on here for the second time. Uh, it's like you know, I have a I have a CD on my phone. It's it's Thelonious Monk and John Coltrane live at Carnegie Hall. Here I am. That's the stage. Boom. Like you know, like and that was a moment that I really got to appreciate at least just on a personal level um, what was going on and and. And the reality of being there, and uh, as you know, somebody who kind of worked on this peripherally for you know twelve weeks or whatever, and 
And yeah, and I honestly, I thought the performance was better than we had done in any rehearsal, which was yeah. good. That was good. It really came together at the end. We had, I don't know, maybe 20 or so ringers who came in at the last minute. And, uh, yeah, thank you. Yeah. There's a couple points that were supposed to be really delicate. And he goes, all right, we're just going to have the professionals do this part. Good. Yeah, absolutely. But, um, and it was really well attended. I was surprised, uh, just how well, I mean, a Tuesday night concert at Carnegie, they didn't have like the top level open, but other than that, it seemed pretty full. We had, I don't know, a five minute standing ovation. There were like five curtain calls at the, the soloist and the composer and the lyricist and the conductor kept coming back out. And, um, that was, I thought was, was a testament to how the music touched a, a lot of the people on a personal level. I mean, even my American white parents, although, you know, my parents are the children of immigrants too, you know, so they can connect with the immigrant story. And my mom especially said, oh yeah, I liked because it told the story and I could follow along, you know, because it was an oratorio. It was, I think it was actually based on an opera that Jolong tried to write many years ago that never went through. Mm. And so they took a lot of the story elements from this actual opera that was getting written and converted it into an oratorio. And so it did tell a nice story about like a personal story as opposed to just like, you know, more broad ideas. It told like an actual love story between uh, an immigrant and an American. And then uh, the one, the immigrant's brother dies in the avalanche, saving the foreman, the American foreman. And, you know, on a personal level, you can understand what's happening on the story. It's, it's, you have these broad, the, the broader story of the immigrants coming here, working on the railroad, you know, opening up the, the West Coast to trade and commerce and then being terribly treated and sent back and, and excluded the Chinese Exclusion Act that comes on. Um, but you have the, the specific individual story of just a love story that's relatable through time and, and culture. Yeah, I think one one thing that was kind of an overarching theme, you heard this in like the narration at the beginning, at the end of the piece, right. was that these immigrants, the, the, the fact is that we, what they're most known for is the fact that we don't know much about them. Right. Right, like they did so much work, right. very little of the credit. And even when like the spike was put down, like they were not invited to like the ceremony, exactly. the opening ceremony. Um, and so, you know, what art does is that it humanizes history. Exactly. And and I think, yeah, you're right. Like, the fact that this was a story. And the thing is, like, making it a story makes it so accessible to people, mm -hmm. right? Like, you can study history back and forth and up and down. But, like, to be able to bring it to life, it creates empathy within people, um, which is really quite special. And um, and, and I love how, what you said about, like, knowing that the space that we were in, um, it's not just a space, right? Like, it ha it's famous and it has its right. reputation, but it's like, dude, there were people who we like look up to like yeah. big deal legends yeah they stood in that same <laughs> right. space and like i don't know i've been like trying to get myself back into classical music because 12 years of piano study should yeah, yeah. i feel bad right good luck. um good luck yes but it's like i think one of the things that really makes classical music great is like you know obviously it's great music but also it's like this was played 300 years ago right, right? the exact yeah. same thing right like people in history listen to the same thing exactly. and, it, and it lives on and it's like right. timeless and so like and so i mean this is a modern piece right this this yeah. piece that we sang is was literally just composed what yeah. two, two, two days ago yeah, two, two days, days before, before before the performance yeah right and it's but at the same time it's like you know that legacy of um you know just classical music or classical form um, is something that's quite special. Uh, but yeah, um, but s some other things that came up, I think, yeah, so it was a, it was a pretty, it was a packed house. Um, I've never seen that many Chinese people in one space for classical yeah. music 
ever. <laughs> like, it's not really... I mean, it's not as if, like, Chinese people don't get classical music. There is history, too, as to why it's not as mainstream. Um, I'll talk about, about that in a bit. But, like, um, I've never seen that many Chinese people in one space. Um, <clears throat> of course, there was clapping between every single right. movement. Which is, like, okay, if you don't know, that's, like, right. a really hoity-toity <laughs> faux pas. Like, it really... It makes sense to a point, but, like, at the same time, if you... If you clap, it's like actually kind of right in between the movements. Although there is like a couple times every once in a while, you'll have a piece where you have to go start singing right from the end of the last piece, and yeah. and especially if you need like your starting pitch to like change notes to figure out where you have to come in on this the next movement. It's like the applause break can screw you up, but. Yeah. Uh, for this, yeah, I mean, if you have an orchestra behind you, it's usually all right. But yeah, yeah, yeah. It is just a faux pas to, to clap between movements. Have you ever clapped between movements? I think the first time, and then somebody was like, no, you can't do that. It's like, <laughs> well, I better cultured. never applaud again. Yeah. Until the until the conductor puts his arms down, turns around, and like gives a big smile, then you can clap. Then you have permission. Then you know you're good. Yeah. I feel like the one time, the only times in which I've clapped between movements, it's only after other people start clapping. Oh, yeah. It's like, I guess we're They doing. know better than me. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I'm not going to be the one who's like, mm, I'm not clapping because I know better. Like, you know, please. Especially for something like Carmina Burana has like 23 movements. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> it's like, all right, you stand there for one straight hour in silence, and then you get, you know, the uproarious applause at the end. It's yep. like... Can I just say, like, well, as you mentioned that, like, I know that, again, choir people have nothing to complain about when it comes to, like, orchestra people who have to read music. Um, but, like, standing up there for, like, ages, every single time we're doing a piece, I'm just, like, looking at the orchestra and, like, man, must be nice to have a chair. Like, must be nice. I'm here, like, my feet are numb. <laughs> And like my lungs are bleeding, right. like and my shoulder hurts from holding my <laughs> folder. Like, my folder is so heavy. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um, I think the the thing that will stick in my mind was this, which is terrible, is the fact that like at the last, the last movement. Oh yeah. The last beat. Perfectly timed. Perfectly timed. I wish someone recorded this because it I was know. incredible. I know. Someone's phone goes off. Right. It was the last note, oh rap, you know, the conductor waves off the, the note, and then the do-do-do-do-do-do-do, and it was like, <laughs> that could, I mean, it, one, two, do, three. Like, it was just right like, on yeah, tempo. Perfectly, yeah, exactly. They, was, they didn't miss a beat. It, it was, was fantastic. Poetic, like, how yeah. poetic. <laughs> I wish, I, I hope there's a recording of this somewhere, just because it's like, you see, like, on YouTube, I don't know, this is why, this is what I do in my spare time, like, all those, like, on YouTube, like classical music fails where like that happens um the like the classic nokia yeah 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 tone and then but i was just it was like carnegie hall literally the last movement literally like right on yeah, tempo it was it was, it was genuinely perfect. they could not have done it if they tried it oh was really gosh. impressive impressive yeah <laughs> that aside though yeah it was it was just an overall great experience uh, right. the soloist though oh yeah so good the two brothers blew me away there were the two parts where like they had harmonies together and they were so incredible. Um, all the soloists were very good, but those two guys were the ones that impressed me the most. I mean, they were just fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Apparently, like, one of... I want to say, like, the uh, the baritone. Yeah. I did a little stalking afterward. Or I read his bio, and then uh -huh. I did a little stalking. Uh, but he was, he actually competed in this, like, Chinese... Chinese American The Chinese American Idol, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, I saw like, that. For, but he competed as, like, a classical, like, opera person. Okay, Which cool. was kind of wild. I think right. he wasn't the only person who was, like, in that boat. Uh -huh. um, but, yeah, I was, like, so... I was, first of all, right. surprised that 
they could find Chinese people to sing yeah. solos because again, like right. opera, like Western music, Western right. classical music, and Chinese society right. don't really mix. No, they're not. They don't cross paths that often. <laughs> right. Um, particularly vocal music, orchestra, orchestral music, something else, but yep. vocal music in particular. So I was really surprised. First of all, he studies at Yale. Yale, yeah, he's music an MFA now. student so he was, right now. He's like local, which is like right. wow, interesting. So many, yeah, cool. So many things intersecting, but yeah, those soloists were something else. And there's yeah. that little girl. Yeah, she was incredible. Oh my yeah, the the child soloist. I mean, she must have been like 12 years old. Uh-huh. And was just she sounded exactly like that two-string instrument. Her yeah, voice had such whole. a similar quality to it. It was beautiful. Yeah. yeah. It was really the soloists were fantastic. Um the piece was really nice. Like as far as modern music goes, it wasn't, you know, what you think of as modern orchestral music, mm-hmm. you know, where it's atonal or you know the harmonies are really weird or bad i mean it was a lot i mean it was it was definitely based in chinese traditional music it was a lot of fourths and um but no i thought i mean the music was nice the solos were fantastic and the story i told was was really really you know touching and uh, personalizing to the story yeah, I think as I was telling like friends about this thing, because I think saying that you're performing at Carnegie Hall merits an explanation. <laughs> right. Um, I think the one thing I kept saying, just because um, I kept saying that like the music is really good. Yeah. Right. Like, the piece of music itself. And the thing is, I felt like I was saying that because I was like, I can't vouch for the quality of the choir that I'm singing in. Like but the don't, piece, the yeah, piece, the piece though. though, real good. Singers, not so much. And I want to talk a little bit about like the rehearsal process because number one, you attended more rehearsals than I yeah. did. Number two, um, I'm contrasting this to what we do in New Haven Chorale every mm. week. And I'm just like, so we both in you've been in New Haven Chorale for like what? Five years. Dang. Yeah, five years. I will be. This is my fifth year, but I joined in the spring, so I'll, like come January, it'll be my sixth started my sixth year wow yeah. yeah i'm on my third year right and so so new haven corral is like it's based out of new haven yep. um and so which sounds like a very hoity tinky little town but it's like it's the home of yale university and it has like its legacy in terms of mm-hmm. you know music there are people who are very interested in music but at, right. this, at the same time it's still like a community right i mean of- yeah the new haven corral is <laughs> i know our our director dr ed bolhovac would take a lot of uh, chagrin to say that we are a community choir because that's basically what he threatens us with all the time <laughs> you know he'll say you want to just be a community choir or do you want to be better um we it's like an 80 plus person group auditioned everybody in the group knows how to sing and does a good job so um and can read music and can read music yeah so it is it is uh it is a c- community choir but i think we do a little bit more than just you know show up and and sing because you like to sing everybody there kind of has a, a handle on music they're good singers who do a good job with the pieces that we do and we do hard stuff in that group yeah um i really like working with ed i think he's a phenomenal conductor i think he knows exactly how to get the best out of us um and but he's a stickler he is a stickler for a lot of things if it comes to pronunciation of a vowel or your mouth shape on certain things that are causing you to flat or sharp on on, a, on some note he'll stop and he'll tell you and he'll say fix this mistake and if you make the mistake again he'll stop and he'll tell you um i felt like the rehearsal process for uh men of iron was similar because charles was running the rehearsals for mm. new Haven, and i think he took a lot from our corral rehearsals um, I don't know if he what his role is in the regular the Chinese uh, camarada when they're doing their regular I rehearsals. Think, I think he's the uh, he's the actual conductor. I, okay, for okay, around. right. So because he definitely felt comfortable, he seems. I mean, he wasn't. He knew what he was doing conducting, and and you know, even just as simple as like putting out the beats on, with a, with a stick, he knew it. Seemed like he knew what he was doing. So I think he took a lot from what 
Ed does. I don't know. They, 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 they seem similar. Um, the pro, yeah, it was a lot of, you know, stop it when the vowel was wrong, which was a big thing, especially with that da hi that oh, got done gosh. a million times over and Kill over again. Me. Sorry. <laughs> um, it was, yeah, that was some sort of things that were similar. Um, the, he, you know, he took the time to explain to us what the piece was about because, you know, the majority of the, of our group in New Haven, at least was Chinese and could read and speak, but there were maybe 10 Americans who couldn't read Chinese. And so he would take the time to give us the explanation of the story and the translation of the lyrics, um, which gives you context as a singer to, you know, what story are you telling? You know, why? Oh, hey, you've sung this uh, Haya Hunga a hundred times, literally a hundred times in this piece. Uh, hey, this is the part right after the brother died in an avalanche. You should be sad, right? You should sing this sad. I all sounded like yeah. the seven dwarves going right, to work. Right, hi-ho, hi-ho. Yeah. So that, um, I, there were similar similarities in the process. Um I think he was a little more like Charles was more flexible than Ed would have been, obviously, because mm. Ed expects a high level of performance from the corral. Yeah, I mean, if you even look at Ed's like resume, it's oh yeah, crazy, it's impressive. crazy. Like, so oh, yeah. he's is he currently a professor at Hart School yes. Music? Yeah, yeah. So he comes down. He live in Hartford? I don't know. I don't know where he lives. Yeah, but, but he, he comes yeah. down. I mean, imagine that commute, right? right. So he's dedicated, and it, he's also like lived so many. He speaks Chinese. He speaks like six languages. Oh my gosh! He like, got his PhD in Hungary, so he's fluent in Hungarian, English. Think he can do Chinese, Latin, or Chinese, Italian, uh, French. Probably he's yeah, uh, German, Polish. Yeah, yeah he's like something yeah, ridiculous. He can speak a ridiculous amount of languages. Yeah, he's really an impressive person, and I do really enjoy rehearsing with him and singing yeah. under him um, because he knows how to get the best out of us. We sound good. We do impressive music. We do interesting things, um, and it is it's the, the the therapeutical aspect of music where you're get to go and sing for two and a half hours once a week and you don't have to worry about anything else. Mm. It doesn't matter if you had a hard day at work or yeah. or if you've got stuff that you've got to worry about. I mean, when you're there, it's just you're focused on the music and that's all you have to worry about. Yeah, yeah. I think the one thing, like, I remember my first rehearsal um, stepping in. So it's like, literally, here's your music. Um, and I had thought that everyone had learned the music beforehand because it was going... Yeah. He was literally just running it all right. parts, right. full tempo, right. just like... Um, and I was looking at this, and I was looking at the people around me, and I was like, "Y'all, yeah. y'all know this already? Yeah, like, nobody's hanging on for dear yeah. life." Yeah, <laughs> and I think like as I'm seeing him when he teaches, right? Because I think I'm taking a lot of cues about his teaching style because I also teach. And so, what's interesting about him is that like he will. So, so it's when it's clear that everyone is sight reading everything for the first time. Yeah. He doesn't ever actually acknowledge that. He's not just straight up like, "Yo, y'all suck." Yeah, and right. Y'all are like sight reading for the first time. Right. right. He's like, why aren't you paying attention to the dynamics? I'm like, uh, excuse me, I like am still reading ledger lines, <laughs> right, and right. I don't care what the dynamics are. But I find that to be such a powerful thing because it's like, I think he, like, he obviously knows that like people are struggling with notes at that point because it's literally right. like, the first time we're reading a piece of Handel. Right. I hate Handel, by the way. Um, <laughs> yeah, those runs like, are not easy. Oh my gosh, I didn't know how much I hated Handel until I started singing Handel. <laughs> right, you do. You, everybody has Hallelujah chorus. You're like, okay, it's not so bad. And it's yeah. like, no, the rest of the Messiah is not easy. No. Like, I sitting next to me at rehearsal uh he was like i'm like what do you have this one memorized he's like yeah i've done the messiah 38 times <laughs> i was like well okay sounds good i'll, I'll yeah. defer to you i'm gonna keep my ear right. open and i'll like, defer to you on these runs peasants right? i know like, oh, we say the hallelujah chorus like 
Yeah, four times. Yeah, right. Yeah, no. School. He's performed the whole Messiah thirty eight yeah. times, which also tells you that like the people like we 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 lower the average age oh. of the chorale by oh. like a good thirty five years. Yeah, like, everyone is significantly older right. than us, and I mean, all of them have been singing for, with the chorale for like literal decades. Yeah. right? Oh, yeah, a long time. Paul, Paul, one of the older bassists, he's been in the group for like forty seven years. It's our seventieth season this year. That's he's been so in for like forty seven years. Yeah, and other people who uh, you know. Uh, since it is a lot of older people, it's people who settle in Connecticut. So I know one of the guys that I've, that I sit near sometimes he's, you know, sung through glee clubs in New York for 20 years. And then he moved to Connecticut in his late thirties and then joined the corral in his fifties. And he's been in that for 20 years. Yeah. So people really, yeah, the, the, the group of people have a, a history of choral singing to the point where it, it makes sense as to why we're all pretty good at singing. Yeah. <laughs> Do a I good mean, job. I just can't imagine like keeping up with the same thing for 42 years. Yeah. I think that's kind of, that's insane and, and really actually really kind of beautiful yeah. when you think about it. Like a, like a marriage. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to be like when I'm like 75, but hopefully. <laughs> hopefully still singing. Hopefully still singing um, with the New Haven Corral. We'll see. But like, um, yeah, no, I don't know. I'm just struck by like how, you know, obviously Ed has high standards for us yeah. and it's easy to like throw that term up, but I was so, I was just so intrigued by like how there, he assumes already that right. we're practicing music every right, day. Right, 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 right. Uh, do you do that? Although he did say, so he, he went over, I think he might have been out this week. It was like a couple weeks ago because I took the whole month of September off because mm-hmm. I had these rehearsals for the play I was in. So I came back in, in October and uh, really getting thrown into it. I mean, we have a concert six days from today. The, right. the Halloween concert, oh, which yeah. in, in and of itself is a little like kitschy, and we're in costume and we're, it's, you know, it's, for, it's for the kids. It's for the kids, but uh he said the other day, he goes, listen, you need to do something for Corral every day. Whether that's, you know, he's like, so today you're here. Tomorrow, think about it a little bit. Just mm. think about the, just remember that you're in the Corral. <laughs> Wednesday, maybe take out your music and look at it. <laughs> Thursday, just remember you're in the Corral again. So he, he fully acknowledges that people, that this is a hobby for everybody. We're, none of us are professionals. We're doing it because we love music and because, as he likes to say, the people in the Corral are a special type the people keep coming back year after year because everybody in the corral really has the need to make music. It's mm-hmm. the sort of thing where you have it in your bones and your DNA that you need to have that creative outlet. So pe- he understands people are doing it for fun, but by the same token, we all want to do a good job. So he reminds you on some of the harder pieces like the handle we're doing right now. Hey, this is tricky. Look at it. You, even if you don't take it out, take out at your piano and play the notes. So like at least look at it, remember how it goes. Do a breathing exercise. You know, get under your get on your core. And so I think he, he. I don't think he expects everybody to like actually take out and rehearse every day. But mm. he also we're only there for two and a half hours a week, so yep. you need to have your stuff together. So if you're if you're missing something, you know, take a look at it. Yeah, I mean, I was just thinking. So so the last episode that I recorded by myself last night um, talked a little bit about the idea of practice uh, vis a vis language learning right the idea mm-hmm. that if you're and you've learned languages before we were yeah. in the same spanish class in high school for yeah. a long time yeah 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 um but you also studied italian in college yeah i did i took a couple years of italian and have continued to study it uh, nice. since then i'm like pretty okay i can get by if i was if i was like two weeks in italy i think i'd be mint yeah, but, yeah. um what the best story I have about that when one time uh, Emma and I were out at Eli's and we heard a couple guys like walk by speaking Italian. Ha. He's like, "I'll go introduce us." So I was like, "All right, I'll get another beer." So we went in, I get a couple beers for us, and he walks out. And he's like, eh, "Ecco Giovanni," and everyone's like, "Oh, Giovanni, <laughs> piacere!" And I sat down with them, and, we, and they spoke enough 
English and I spoke enough Italian. We had a full conversation like the whole night. Wow. Um, and at one point, one of them turns to me and he goes, your Italian is better than my English. And I was like, well, your English is pretty damn good. So I'll take that as a compliment. <laughs> um, so yeah, I've, I feel pretty, I feel pretty comfortable in Italian and I've like been trying to learn German kind mm. of for the last three years. All the requisite choir languages. Yeah, exactly. It, Honestly, it. my German vocabulary is, is not bad. I'll, I'll be surprised at how much I can read and how many words I know, but mm. I cannot string a sentence together because I don't have any practice with speaking. Yeah. Ah. So I'll, sometimes I'll try to think in the German and uh, and that's uh, my vocabulary is surprisingly good to me. Like every once in a while, you're like, how do I know all these Are words? There a lot of cognates in German. Um, it's weird. It's super weird. There are a lot of romantic language cognates. So you'll look at things and go like, oh, this is similar to Italian. Mm. Oh, this is similar to Spanish. Yeah, there are some things that make sense in in English, uh, but it's not as like ridden with cognates as you would think. Gotcha. But like the word for German it, to read is lesen and uh, so leer mm. and legere. Mm. So it's like, okay, cool. Like, all right, you know, so that's like something that you find similar. It's like, all right, that's interesting. Okay. And then, but then they also take in German, like they throw all words together, you know, they, yeah. they combine the words. So like breakfast is frühstruck and fru <laughs> means early. So it's like your early meal. There you go. I don't know what struck means. It's probably something like <laughs> meal. food, yeah. meal. Yeah. So it's like, that's, but literally the word fru is, is early. I mean, so I like, feel like that makes a little more sense logically yeah. than breakfast. Dinner is abendessen, which means evening eating. Essen is to eat. Habend means evening. So it's your evening meal. Your oh, Abend essen. It makes so, sense. Yeah. Mid-tag essen is lunch. Midday eating. I don't know. Mm. That's another thing. Yeah. So I know on your outline, we had something about uh, language through music. So yeah. the entire reason I decided to learn German was because when I first did, I think it was the Jephthah Chorus in Corral. I think that's a Beethoven piece. And uh, we did one movement from it and I didn't know how to speak any German. You know, we had done a little bit of it in high school with mm. Carmina, mm. Um, but we did it with a weird accent that that is not real German. That was not real German. <laughs> it was a weird thing. We don't have to go into it. But uh, um, so I really didn't know any German. And one of the guys was, "Oh, if you want, I can uh, let you know, and we could sit down and, and I'll go over the pronunciation with you." And this I went, is "In the corral." This is in corral. Random member of the corral. Yeah, like, and I went, "That's cool." You know. I think I'm going to learn German so I don't have to talk to you about it so I can do it on my own. So that has driven me to like kind of get it. And the other thing too is it's a, uh, as a chemist, German is like a, 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 a mother tongue to mm. chemists. If you, things have been translated now because it's 2019, but yeah. uh, all the original chemistry was done in Germany, written and published in German. Um, so it's kind of like a heritage thing, you know, for a professional heritage thing. So it's like, you know, I've been thinking about it. I've been playing with the idea. And I finished the Duolingo Italian skills. Okay. So I was like, I'll learn. I'll do German. I'll start German. So that was kind of the reason I went into it. Um, but definitely, like, I don't know anything in Chinese. You know, I can't <laughs> differentiate between Mandarin and Cantonese. I just, they had the, you know, the transliteration underneath written in the English pronunciation. And that's what uh -huh. I tried to do. And if I heard, if one thing was written I-H, and then I heard other people kind of going in a accent, then I'm like, all right, I'll put a little <laughs> umlaut on it. And that's what I'll do. An you know? And um, yeah, that's like, that's how I'll, I, I just tried to like morph my, my vowel tones to what was going on around me. Whether it was right or wrong, it doesn't matter at that point. You just want to 
be together. Yeah. But it would be a little bit wrong together than to have, you know, four different notes going on with three different people being wrong and one person being right because I'm the right one. It's like, don't worry about it. Just be the same. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's yeah. such a good, that's such a good, like, language learning skill. Like, the idea of noticing when you are, because the thing is, like, you could, you could teach someone back and forth, like, this is how you pronounce the thing. But really what it comes down to, like, hey, do you hear how that person's saying it? Right. You should say the same thing. Exactly. Right? And that's, like, how you differentiate between, like, someone who is, like, has a good native sounding accent versus mm. someone who just, like, still sounds like a foreigner. Right. Um, so, yeah, I think I think that idea, and this is something that I tried, like, because my kids are young, um, and so this is, like, the details of, like, you know, when you're learning a language as an adult and you're self-motivated, these are the things that you be, you're willingly picking up. Um but if you're doing it for a grade, <laughs> yeah. because it's required of you, right, right. it's really hard. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that's super cool, though, that your your motivation to like learn another language wasn't sprouted up because you, like, I don't know, really enjoyed beer or pretzels. Like, I, think, <laughs> I feel like that's just such an overdone, this is sacrilege and like language teaching world, but I just feel like that's such an overdone thing, right? The assumption that like you learn a language because you're just so enamored with the culture. Right. Right. But the thing is like, what is the culture? Is it just like, you know, because I, I struggle every year t- teaching like Chinese New Year. Right. Um, which is like such a mainstay as a Chinese teacher. You're like, this is a the major holiday. We have a bunch of them, but this is like the right, one. Right, right. Um, and so you obviously go all out right mm. and i'm just like i came to a point one year where i was just like i really hate teaching this why because i don't actually know that much about chinese new year this is not what is important to right. me i mean not that that should dictate like what i teach and what i don't sure um like my kids know what chinese new year is and they know like the basic tenets but it's not like i find it really hard to believe that unless you're like a super nerd um as a 17 year old kid that like you're learning a language because you just really love tongue poetry yeah. or you really love like italian arias right you right italian right uh, unless right. you like you have to right unless right. you're like, your vocalist yeah, coral, yeah coral right. then it becomes like a, yeah. a, a, like a thing of necessity um but i think you know a lot of people say that like singing uh music is one of the things that like leads into is a good way to teach language and there's there's some logic to that because like le- like so- singing is memorable yeah um and you can just like it's 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 easier to remember something through a melody than Definitely. it is to just like straight up words um but do you think that like music like do you i should ask you this do you feel more intrigued about chinese culture and history as a result of this and you can be honest right so i've i've always kind of thought of myself as a student of history you know i my very broad education at Providence with a lot of, I mean, I took that four semester Western Civ class. So Mm -hmm. I've always kind of seen myself as a a student of history um, with a kind of a broad understanding and appreciation of a lot of different things. I have a shallow, a shallow knowledge on a lot of subjects. So, but Eastern culture, Chinese culture, something I really don't know a lot of because we never got taught it that. I mean, that's, that's, that's a whole biased thing we could talk about at another point if you wanted. But, um, and also because it's just complicated. There's like 5,000 <laughs> years of really well-documented history. So You bet. Yeah, right. So we try to glaze over that because it's kind of easier to be like, uh, you know, hey, Rome, Greece, like ancient Rome, ancient Greece, and uh, nothing, Renaissance. And then and then we learn, you know. Mm. So we have like 700 years of, of history. Um, do I feel – I have a – I I knew. I knew that the, the Chinese railroad worker was a thing. I've known that because of American, of history. American history, yeah, you know, um, and I've known that America has a policy of hating whoever's the newest immigrant group. Right mm-hmm. now, it's Latinos who face you know discrimination and build the wall and all that yeah. crap, all that nonsense. Yeah. Um, 
And pretty soon when the next group comes in from wherever, then it'll be the Latinos who have a chance to hate on the new group. Because that's what happens. There's nothing more American than hating the next group of immigrants. Right. Okay. I saw an article the other day. It was uh, uh, when Italians became white or how Italians became white. Yeah. Okay. Because when the Italians started to come in in the like, well, there was actually two diaspora for, for Italian immigration here. Um, one, I think in like the 1840s, right after the civil war. And then another in like the early 1900s, uh, which is when my grandparents immigrated and they were, yeah, they were like the, the Irish people who had been hated for 60 years then became like pretty rotten to Italian people in, in the, in the Northeast who, who came in and there was quotas for Italian immigrants. And then that's why you have huge Italian populations in Brazil and Argentina. Cause they'd mm-hmm. come to, New York and New Haven as the ports of entry and neither get in or get denied. And then they just kept going South. Mm. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, I remember like, yeah, people who are Argentinian Italian is a big thing. Yeah. Um, but I, yeah. So I've understood that the, the culture of hating the immigrant, mm. that's a thing that I try to explain when I'm in debates about immigration, mm. when I'm talking to people, it's like, Oh, these they're coming in and blah. It's like, this is the same rhetoric through uh, the entirety of, of the American history. I don't know if it applies to European countries the same way because yeah. it's more of a multicultural... Because they're because geographically they're so close to each other, they have to deal with each other more. Right. Whereas in America, it's like, you know, the Puritans come in, in the late early 1600s, and then you have uh, Germans who come, and they have to go to Pennsylvania, and mm. they still speak Pennsylvania Dutch and German in these places. Mm. And then and then the Irish come in the 18, early 1800s, 1820s, or whatever, and they get hated on. You know, no Irish need apply. You hear about this all the time. Then, yeah. the, then the Italians come, and they're the ones who get... Who get uh, mistreated by the Irish who are now American. And then the Italians come in and how the Italians became white because now there's a group of non-white people who are coming in and they get the persecution. Yeah. And then it's, you know, whether it's, and then, I mean, and then you have the whole African immigration slave uh, immigration. thing is a whole immigration in heavy air quotes, <laughs> um, is, is its whole own separate issue. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, you have the, it's always good to, you get your laborers, you get your your force, and then we say, all right, we're done with you, and you marginalize them. Yeah. Whether it's Japanese internment or whether it's uh, the Chinese Exclusion Act. I mean, Louis C.K. has a joke about, you know, oh, these pyramids are so good. Well, there's no limits what you can do when you just throw human death and suffering at something. Right. You know, oh, yeah, how did, how are these pyramids still built? Oh, we just had a bunch of slaves. They just died. It's okay. How did we traverse the country with rail so fast? We just threw a bunch of Chinese people into a, in a cave and blew them up. You know, we, there's no limits what you can do when you Yay just don't care us. about people. Yeah, yeah. I think it's, it's really interesting what you said about, like, when there's always a new group that then becomes like the new target for because yeah. there's this like overarching because Chinese people have been in the U.S. for a long time, right? right? Like since the 19th century, and then like there's a difference between like those the immigrants who came then and then like you know people of my parents' generation who are like usually a little upper middle upper middle class. Yeah. Um, but there's this like you know as as far as the like Latinx sort of immigration thing going like one thing that you hear a lot from Asian immigrants East Asian immigrants is like the idea of you know we figured it out like we came here legally um we we did it the right way and so why can't you like this idea of like we yeah like we have this like model minority sort of you know and i think you know when we're talking about like inter 
inter-immigrant sort of uh, discrimination and strife. Like, there is this sense of, like, you know, there is this lack of solidarity, right? Even though we can say, like, you know, we have this this oratorio that tells what is very a very universal story, increasingly universal now as we look at politics of the southern border today. Um, It's it's really easy to still disassociate yourself from that. Oh, you have to. Yeah. And I just found this so interesting, especially given, like, the context of who we were singing with. Um, You know, this is, for me, when I saw this, this was, like, a very... Asian American, very like Chinese American story of like, you know, becoming a part of this new country. Right. Um, and, and I mean, I have, I don't know, this is my existential angst with like, you know, because a lot of my circles because of what I teach, um, it's not an Asian American space, but it is, right? Like people who are immigrating from China or Taiwan or Chinese speaking countries are by definition Asian American and part of the diaspora. But the Asian American experience as I've experienced is not the same as theirs. And so, I mean, I didn't want to think too much about this, but like, I think um, at the end of the day, when we're looking at this piece, like who, as a performer, like what are you taking from it? And I think what you have to say is like actually really valuable because it's not like even as a so-called outsider, non-Chinese person, (laughs) um, you know, it's, there's still, there's still something to take away. Um, This like China, China now music festival has been around. This is the second year. The first year was, Oh gosh, I, I don't remember what the last year's topic, but there was like one piece that this choir did about like the cultural revolution mm. and like the sending down of basically the literati, right? Like during the cultural revolution, basically it was like if you are an intellectual, right. you need to go down and plant crops because right. that is right. what what is really important right. in upholding a country. Right. Um, and and I think a lot of people who were in the choir were of that generation. Definitely. I think Charles was also think so. literally one of the people who was sent down to plant crops because they were too smart. Um, and so, so, so people's stories, people's backgrounds, like it's interesting to see how they like interpret this, you know, this, this, this piece of art. Um, but anyway, uh, going back to like, you know, New Haven Chorale and then this new choir experience. So obviously Ed is just a really, really effective teacher, I think. And, you know, again, he has this expectation that we're, we're practicing, but he's a realist about it. Right, right, right. right. Yeah. And then, and, and then so contrasting this. So this was my first time for this performance. This was my first time working with like a Chinese choir, a Chinese director, mm-hmm. um, or actually really being taught by a Chinese person, which is very, very strange because I think the only other context was in college where I had professors and like professors, I feel like literature, literary professors are like totally different species. Sure. Um, yes. Yeah. If you're like a Chinese person and you, you make a career out of teaching Chinese to non-Chinese people, like I feel like you are somewhat special. <laughs> but anyway, um, I was just so, I just remember this one, this one rehearsal note that was sent after a rehearsal. It was just so blunt. I think at one point, uh, Maestro Tai literally wrote, do not yell. Yeah. And like, <laughs> right, the rehearsal right, notes, right. that was a thing that yeah. was happening. I think it was like the tenors, the tenors yep. who had really high notes and they were just screaming. Yeah, right. right? Um, and so it was interesting to see, like, number one, the bluntness of, oh, yeah. like, because I don't think Ed would ever be like, yo, you guys are terrible. Like, I think you guys he would, sound but I don't bad. think he'd put it in writing. He, no, would tell us, it in writing. he would tell us, like, after, in a moment of frustration, being like, I don't know what else to do. Yeah. You just don't, you, you, he, he'd be more polite. Be like, I don't know what to do. Go home and look at it. Yeah. You could probably be the, and, and put the piece away. Like, I he would, he would say that. He would, like, be sort of nuanced about, right, like, if we right, sounded bad, which, right. you know, happens. Um, <laughs> he would be a little more nuanced about it. What was so, what struck me so much about, like, what the Chinese choir was about was, like, I think there was one point where, like, the, the conductor was literally like, this does not sound good. Like, you, you literally sound bad. <laughs> right. And, like, 
everyone around us was like, yes. Yeah. I was just so like... That's kind of a Chinese thing. It is It's definitely a Chinese thing. thing. Yeah, this idea of like being able to take criticism, um, very, very blunt criticism. um, Yeah, it just feels like, you know, and you could argue that like Westerners are just so soft and, you know, have our, we're so precious. Well, right. It's the individual aspect of of being a person, you know, the, uh, as opposed to in in Asian culture where you have the importance of the family and the community around you that has kind of gotten lost in translation. I mean, that's, that's very broad to say. I mean, people still have commitments to their family and, and their community, but it's not seen, it's not held in the same importance as it is in in Asian culture, Mm. Chinese cultures. Yeah. It was almost as, I remember like so many times I got the stink eye from like other people in my section for like singing (laughs) something like slightly incorrectly. And it's (laughs) like, I mean, I guess if you really want to philosophize about it, it's like, yes, you messing up messes up the group. Don't mess up. Right. right. It, there's right. high stakes here. Right. 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 Um, does not matter that you were right and the rest of everyone else was wrong. But like, <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, but the thing is, like, I can understand. So, Maestro Tai has like, if you read his resume, he's like, wasn't he like one of the first people to like graduate from a conservatory in China? I think that was actually the composer. The composer. Oh, Long right, right. was one of the first people. I think he might have been in the first class at the National Conservatory gotcha. of China or whatever it's called after after the Cultural Revolution yeah. ended. However, I don't know what the way to just explain that is. Whatever, Whenever the policy about you can't study music right. ended, and if you do study music, it has to be traditional Chinese music because yeah, we don't like want Western culture influ- Yeah, we don't want Western culture influencing us. So I think that was the sort of thing where he was one of the first people it might, may have been in the first class. I think that was mentioned at one of the rehearsals, that he mm. was in the first graduating class. Um, which has really placed him as a, the right person to do this modern Chinese music. Yeah. You know, written in it with traditional Chinese folk song elements to it, which were great. I mean, hearing pe- hearing some of the other singers talk about how, like, this is like a child song. We would sing mm. this together, you know, uh, all the time. And it's like, that was, you know, taking that, but then putting it in a, a, a classical Western style of singing. Uh, to see the two worlds come together, especially after you know there, it was illegal for however yeah. long it was. I don't know how long. How long was the period of that? Oh gosh, like twenty, 20 years, fifties yeah. to the seventies. Yeah, yeah, something like that. It was like a very gradual sort of like in and out. Right. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, like, despite the history behind it, it's like you know the composer, the conductor, they're all serious musicians of Western music, right? right. I think uh, Tai Jingdong actually wrote a book about Beethoven in China. Right. right? So right, like it's right. not as if like they like they get Western music and they get what like a Western or a Western classical choir is supposed to sound like what classical vocal right. music is supposed to sound like. Um and and so given that background, but like then you have this community choir, right? And again, like this community choir is like basically a, a, a group of people who just like singing. Sure. Um, a lot of the folks, and this is like no shade, but like a lot of the folks um, ha- did not read like five staff music. Right, like, right. They were in the 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 uh, what's it called, Pai pa- Jing? Yeah, yeah. Jian Jian Pu. So like Sorry, it's I was like close. It's I had okay. the words flipped. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> but literally, like, if you've never seen Jampu before, it's basically just um, you take the notes, but you just reduce them to numbers. Right. Which is, like, fine, right? right. It makes it a little Sometimes. bit... Sometimes. If, <laughs> if you're, you have to change key... Well, it's easy for simple things, simple melody. Yeah. The problem is if you start dealing with accidentals, then you have to redefine where do is. You have to redefine where number one is in the solfege. Apparently, Charles, like, transposed the entire oratorio yeah. into Jampu, which was, yeah. like, impressive. Because the yeah. thing is, like, again, like you said, Jampu is not used for, like, big pieces of, like, you know, music. It's, like... 
folk songs. Right. You know, um, it's like the equivalent of like putting using a chord chart with like a guitar chord chart right. with like um, with classical music. Um, but what that says is that like the people who are singing this piece at Carnegie Hall, right, the debuting this piece by this Pulitzer winning composer, um, they didn't have like this Western music background. Like right. not that we do either, but like we I mean, at least we do. Well, like, like, we do. We're we, never like we don't. F- formal conservatory training, but we can read music because we took, you know, music, we took instrumental classes. You know, I played sax for eight years. You played piano forever. So we at least know how to read music. And then we had, I mean, we did big pieces that were mainstays of, you know, modern, the modern classical music repertoire, things that were, you know, we did Carmina Brana as sophomores in high school. Like that was a a big thing. Or juniors in high school. That was a big thing. It's like, that's a a mainstay of, of modern music. That's classical music. That's done on still today. Right. So we have this like familiarity as to what Western vocal music, keep saying Western, but classical vocal music, traditional bel canto, whatever is supposed to sound like. Mm -hmm. And not because like we went out and like learned it. No formal conservatory training. Yeah. At least we like like, have an education. Right. And and experience. We grew up in a place and we went to a school that was that mainstream that sort of thing and so what happens then when you don't have that context which I think is what happened with this choir um, through no one's fault right like if you if if when you grew up right the version of vocal music that you hear was a certain oral aesthetic right and a certain sort of like you know so what I'm what I'm dancing around is the fact that like if you have ever and basically if you're Chinese and you have heard church ladies sing if you're a church Chinese person <laughs> like I am you've heard church ladies sing it has a very distinct sort of shrill sound uh-huh. to it. Um, and, and I think for most Western ears, you'd be like, man, that sounds awful. But the thing <laughs> is that like what that is born out of, it's not coming out of a vacuum. It's like, that's what Peking opera kind of sounds like. Okay. You know, and Peking opera, even when it's done well, takes a little like used yeah, to, right. yeah, it, it takes a little getting used to. Um, and also like revolutionary songs of that era were just very, very bombastic and yeah. very, very like, yeah, their marches. Yeah. yeah. And like you Susan. hear people singing it. Like whenever I hear people sing, I'm just like, man, if I were singing that, I'd be so tired right now. <laughs> like, I, like that would actually yep. hurt me. Yeah. Um, and so given that being like their context, probably like for them to emulate that while they're singing, like, it's not even just like, Oh, we're singing in this style. It's like, we're just singing. This is right. what we're used to. Just right. like if you told, if, if someone told us to sing picking opera, yeah. we'd bring in like our like Bel Canto right. training yeah, and, like, right, right, right. Vowels and whatever. Right, right. And you'd be, and people are like, what are you doing? Yeah, you know? exactly. They're different styles of singing. Yeah. And so, but the thing is like, I get the conductor's frustration because it's like, you're not just like I think what he was he, he mentioned before that like we spent so much time on like elongating vowels to mm. the point of like ridiculousness right um, you mentioned the the tahai pronunciation right, right, before right. which is like it literally just means big C and it the word happens like 70,000 times yeah. in the first movement um, in the alto section and like for some reason, because of that ah sound, because it's so wide and <clears throat> potentially nasally, um, the conductor just ended up giving up and just saying, just pronounce it doha. Yeah, right. Doha. And I'm just like, what is this? Why? Yeah. <laughs> Why? But it really was just like this last ditch effort to like kind of correct. Right. What well, is the pitch? Yeah. Pitch and like, and just the shape of the vowel right. and just not sounding right. like you know, nasally in, in the context of like <clears throat> Western classical music. Right. And the difference um, between speech and singing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it's just like, I don't know. I mean, I'd love to be in a future where like, you know, there, there are really good Chinese choirs, right? Mm-hmm. Like there is this article that I, I was looking at before recording this, um, that was talking about like the state of affairs of choral music in China. And in summary, it's like, 
it exists, but at very, very small measured right. amounts. Right, right. You know, there, there are some, conservatories yeah. in China, and there are people who obviously we have the solos there right. study vocal music. Right, so it's right. not as if these people don't exist. It's not as if like there's this wall between like you know China being this closed off state where they don't interact with Western music. Because in fact, like during the end of the 19th century, when like you know European people started coming in, um, classical music was actually super popular because it was seen as like this very refined. Thing um, and it really and even through the Cultural Revolution, it wasn't as if there was this big erasure of classical music. It wasn't like it wasn't like outright banned. It wasn't like in like Eastern Europe or like Russia where right. they were like straight up like bans yeah. on non-revolutionary music. But it was rather like Mao had this philosophy that art and music exist for political gain. Right. Um, and it's not as if classical music exists outside of that. Um, but you know, it definitely set some limitations as to what they were exposed to. And on top of that, it was like uh, there was you know. If, even though classical music existed, it was not like the main thing, right? It didn't right. dominate like the cultural sphere as it does in Western society. Right. Well, and when you take uh, a group of people for 20 years and say, no, you can't study music yeah. and pursue the arts because you have to go farm. <laughs> that certainly puts a toll on your population's oh, like exposure yeah. and uh, their, their, <laughs> their chance to go in and, and become a good piano player or yeah. a violinist or whatever. No, and I think there is like definite, you could probably, I mean, someone who actually goes to conservatory in China could probably clarify this, but like, I'm sure you would you you saw like a like a like a decline in like violinists and oh, pianists yeah. and flautists during that time. But like the thing is, it's not as if singing died out, right? right. Like you know, you could say that like you know classical instrumental music kind of like dipped down during that just because there wasn't you know a space for that. But during the Cultural Revolutionary period, there were people still singing. Right. It just wasn't classical music. Right. And it was for a specific purpose, right. and that shapes the landscape as to what people of that generation found to be like that vocal aesthetic and we kind of saw i feel i mean a little bit of that in the choir right Mm -hmm. and i think when we're hearing a choir sound like that again like my my elitist like western classical music you know instinct is just like man that sounds really hard to listen to right it's (laughs) kind of high and screechy (laughs) but you know, and I, and I realized this experience when, like, when I first heard like our church choir, and I was looking around to my parents, and I was like, "Are you hearing this? Like, are you hearing this?" And to them, it was just like, "Yeah, they sound a little off key." And I'm like, "No, are you hearing this?" You know, and it just it just like struck me that like you know cultural context matters so much when it comes to like what we what we find to be aesthetically pleasing and not. Uh-huh. I mean, on the other hand, a part of me will always feel like, "Man, if you sing like that, you're gonna hurt yourself. Mm-hmm. Like, you're gonna injure yourself." But like you know, all that aside, right. you know. Um, so I think as a whole, being a part of this experience, it's like it's interesting on like many levels right yeah. like the idea that it was a piece that was not just in chinese it was history it was storytelling but also the meta of it yeah you know like what what do you think you know when you look back on this like 10 20 years from now like given that right. this will probably be one of the last times we will get to perform at carnegie well Hall. i don't know when we, we have this in now they went this chinese choir went like i don't know eight years ago and sang at carnegie oh, did they? yeah so yeah. this is kind of not, not a regular thing for them but it's not an unheard of thing so I don't know. I'm, I'm not signed Closing up. Closing the door. What I'm saying is I'm not signed up for regular rehearsals for this. Mm-hmm. Like, like, so we do have a few. There's, I think, three people in our chorale who sing in the Chinese Camerata, two of whom are from China, and one is white American. And he sings with them regularly. I, I will gladly come back if they do a big production like this and mm. do something, you know, maybe down the road. But um, taking from it, it was definitely... It's always an interesting 
experience because this isn't the first time I've sung a commissioned piece. You know, we have we had a resident composer for Corral last year, mm. and though, although that was much smaller scale, and he was like a, a college kid, kind of he was. A and we did a commission piece. And we did a commission piece in our freshman year of high school, too, right? Music that? makers, yeah, which yeah, yeah. was uh, that also, was very modern. Th- it was that, that was a difficult piece to sing. Yeah, minor seconds everywhere. Minor seconds everywhere. Like the the time measure the the, the yeah the the time changed every six measures. Uh, where and they were like in weird like seven twelve. Yeah, it was how dumb. old were they? Like hard. thirteen. And thirteen. We're just or like, 14, what is? Yeah. What is? They just came. Yeah, to see. I don't know. Yeah, what that was weird. So I mean, having the experience. All right, so musically having the experience as as a singer, somebody who you know, looking at this piece of commission, newly commissioned piece, where you had to kind of. You had to be flexible every week. So you'd come in and they go, or the you know, we added seventeen measures here, so reprint it. Oh, the the tenors are a, a fifth up here, so do that. Like uh, as a as a musician, it was an interesting experience just because you had to be flexible and there were changes every week to to the piece. Right. Um, as a student of history, I found it really I like the fact that I, it, it put a human face on the story of these, you know, hundreds of hundreds on thousands of immigrants who came um, to to do this task where you're marginalized as a worker and that's it. That's your use. That's your usefulness. And you're done and you're out by thanks for the help to let the door hit you on the way out. Mm. Um, it contextualizes and it personalizes the story of that experience. Um and it just gives me kind of a, another appreci- uh, an appreciation for their story. And uh, just on a personal level, it makes it, like you said, easy to empathize with. Um, and I think, yeah, and musically, I mean, it was the first time I've sung Chinese in mm. Mandarin or Cantonese. I think we may, I, don't, I really don't think, maybe a little, little bit, like five or six words in, in choir in high school. Yeah. I don't know. I've done like Latin, German, Italian, French, uh, Spanish. English and that's and like maybe like a little Swahili we did a couple times yeah but yeah, I but yeah. never world music yeah right is but <laughs> to be able to have this experience oh in Hebrew Hebrew is a hard yeah, language to sing and Hebrew is, is probably even harder than Chinese I think mm-hmm. um, I agree but uh, this was a, it was a valuable experience and I really appreciate it and I will remember not to say I don't appreciate Carnegie freshman year of high school mm. but it gives more context as a you know now 12 years down the road and being able to kind of have more a little more experience under my belt and have more context for things um, so I really do appreciate the experience I'm glad I did it I will definitely do it again in the future if if called upon um, <laughs> if, if, get, if, I get tapped, if I get tapped if I get tapped but I think it was uh, it was it was a nice experience, and and also I really appreciated uh, on a personal level the way the interactions I had with the people who were singing mm. the group because um, it was our group of like maybe thirty five people from New Haven plus I mean there was over a hundred singers easily so actually I think there was like two hundred singers yeah so there was massive. group right so we had our group of thirty there was groups from New York groups from Kansas City Dallas Portland Oregon uh, Charles brother flew in from Sydney with his wife yeah. and family like so Sydney Australia. Yeah, so it was an international like effort, um, and I was really touched at the like the friendliness everybody had too. That was a really nice um, thing because as you know, as a, this was really one of the few times in my life where I could be in the minority as a mm. white, ma- straight white man <laughs> that I could be in the minority. And as a group of you know two hundred singers, there was maybe 
40 white people in mm-hmm. the group. So, like, mm-hmm. that was also kind of a cool thing. I did feel, you know, on the outset of, of facing my own white privilege as, like, <laughs> uh, like I did feel a little bit outside, but uh, the, the friendliness and the um, the personal that people were, were, were talking to me um, and made an effort to make me feel included. I appreciated that. Too on on a, on a personal level outside of the musical aspect of it or the historical or cultural aspect of it, I felt very personally. I appreciated people's efforts to make me feel included. That's so awesome. Yeah. I think that's such, like I think one of those things that like we're both in our twenties, and then like your twenties, you're just kind of like we're settled into like the groove of work and yeah. you know what's next in personal life and whatever. But like. I don't think a lot of people our age are like going out and joining choirs no. with like seventy five year old no not at guitarists. all and, right. but it's just like having that experience being able to intersect with people that are different than you right you know even if it's just the New Haven Corral because right. those people are different from us by 40, 50 years yeah, yeah yeah and they have life experience and they have perspectives that are different from our peer group and so to have that experience is super valuable I think um, there's so many kids in high school or, or did high like choir in high school or did like orchestra in high school. And like it just kind of like drops off to a point just because like your your life gets busy and um, I think that the importance of that community can't be understated uh, can't be over, can't be overstated and so yeah I think I don't know I'm I'm super grateful as well I think it's just like one of the things that will always strike me about this experience was that it ended up being so much of a so much more of a bigger deal than I thought it was right yeah. on the one hand it's like Carnegie and it speaks for itself right um, but on the other it's like you show up to the space and you and and you walk on stage and you're like dude this place is packed yeah right and and like and then you look at like the press release afterwards and like dude people care about this sort of thing oh yeah and you know as a Chinese person I'm just like I didn't know that like you know maybe it's because like Chinese people in general ga- gravitate to anything that is Chinese um, sure. and and has a name on it right yeah. like Carnegie Hall choir China. Yeah. wow big yeah. deal um, <laughs> even if you don't know anything about music but like um yeah I mean I I just love the idea of um you know just because I love choral music so much the idea of those two worlds kind of intersecting right. the clash of worlds is so crazy to me um but yeah I think for me as well I remember, like, the reason why I felt so compelled to join after you had mentioned it, because I just wasn't, just, it was such a crazy weekend for me, and it was just not, wouldn't have worked out, like, right. logistically at all, but, um... You flew in on what? Mo- no, you flew in on Tuesday. I flew in you on You flew Tuesday. in to, to JFK, uh, yep. no, to Boston. To Boston. Took a bus. Yep. And got there on no sleep. Yep, yep. Oh, my God. It was one God. of those, like, yeah. out-of-body experiences. Yeah. So, I can't, just, so I can't imagine on uh, how you felt just because you were up for so long. It was... <laughs> Sheer adrenaline, sheer performance <laughs> adrenaline, just the high of being on stage, obviously now. But yeah, no, it's just one of those things that it's like you step on and you're just like, dude, this is important. And I remember like reading the music, the lyrics for the first time, the benefit of understanding Chinese. Right, <laughs> Sorry. right. Um, and being like, this is beautiful. Yeah. Like this is a humanizing story. On the one hand, you're just like, you know, boy falls in love with girl and then boy dies. Well, it's a simple story. It is a simple story. Well, the boy's story. brother dies. Boy's brother dies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, Tragedy. Yeah. Um, but, like, on the other hand, you're, like, you see the role of the mother. Like, that was a point right. that really got me. Oh, yeah. The, the, the New Year's Eve um, sort of thing. Just because, again, like, I know I, I talk crap about Chinese <laughs> previously, but there is a certain truth to that. That idea of, like, separating yourself during... It's like, you know, how people relate to not being with family on Christmas. Yeah, exactly. You know, and that experience does feel very universal, but also feels very you know, Chinese to an extent. Mm -hmm. When I talk to the kids from China who attend my school, that's like the one thing that, you know, they have a really hard time with. Yeah. Um, This idea of not being able to be home, not being able to be with someone who's familiar, just little things like that. And so the fact that the story gets to be told in a, through a medium that 
is not strictly just like China, 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 right? right? It's it's told through like it's almost ironic in a sense that it's told through this Western yeah. music medium. Um, if you really want to go deep, it's like it is the same Western music culture, Western culture that sort of oppressed Chinese people in right. history, and now it's being used as a way to uplift that same story. That's kind of cool, but um, yeah, I don't know. I'm grateful. And I'm glad that we did it together, and I'm glad that uh, that this is something that we'll be able to carry with us. So definitely, yeah. Um, that being said, uh, great talking to you, and thank you for coming by. Of and course, thank you for yeah, yeah. reminiscing. Um, if people want to find you, where can they find you on the interweb? Uh, I mean, I don't, know. I don't really social media too much. <laughs> uh, I don't have anything. I don't know. Slide in the DMs. Yeah, we'll see, see you there. <laughs> All right. Um, in that case, we will catch you next time. See you. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye everyone. Hope you enjoyed that episode of the Bad Chinese Teacher Podcast. If you like what you heard, please do us a favor by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts and continuing to subscribe on your favorite podcast platforms. You can find us on Twitter at Bad Chinese Pod and Instagram at Bad Chinese Teacher. If you're looking for me, Patricia, you can find me on Instagram at Patricia Liu, Twitter at Patricia S.Q. Liu, and you can check out my writing by going to blog.patricialiu.net. If you're looking for show notes from this episode, or if you want to find out more and get in touch, find us at badchineseteacher.com. Thanks again for listening. See you next time.